Hi, and welcome to Follow's weekly message podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for his glory. Here's the message. Our first Bible reading today is from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Our second reading today comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann writes that the gospel is a truth that is widely held, but a truth that is greatly reduced. It is a truth that has been flattened, trivialized, and rendered inane. Author Dan Everts believes that in our telling of the gospel story, we've made Jesus into a tofu savior, square, tasteless, and bland. If any of that's true, and I think some of it may be, how have we taken the greatest story ever? and turn it into something that no longer captivates people. Well, I believe it's only possible when we forget that in Christ, we are part of his great story. The gospel is not some abstract truth out there. It's a current reality that we're all part of. This ever greater gospel is so much greater than we often realize. You see, so often we present the gospel with a starting point of, you're a sinner and you need a savior. But when we do that, We focus on the original sin of Genesis chapter 3 rather than the original blessing of Genesis chapter 1, where the story actually starts at in the beginning God. And if you haven't picked it up, what we are exploring in this series is not the common two-part gospel of fall and redemption, but it's a four-part gospel, which expands the narrative to what scripture actually presents in its entirety, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. This series is called The Ever Greater Gospel. And when we understand the gospel in this way, well, it starts with blessing and it ends with blessing. And that's what makes the gospel such good news. Of all the four parts, part four, which we're exploring today, the theme of restoration, is the part that is most commonly misunderstood. And it's also the part that can make all the difference between a square, tasteless and bland faith versus a real, living and dynamic faith that is lived out every moment of every day. And so what does the Bible teach about restoration? Well, there's so much to say about this topic, more than you could ever cover in one message like this morning. But I want to talk about restoration this morning from two perspectives. I want to talk about restoration from the perspective of future hope and also present mission. And they're both linked and they're both made possible through the redemptive work of Jesus. 
And so let's start by looking at restoration as future hope. In our world right now, we need hope perhaps more than ever before in our lifetime. In the midst of a global pandemic connected to a divided world via social media and immersed in so much fear and uncertainty, hope is like an anchor for our souls. It keeps us grounded when the present reality could easily overwhelm us. And it helps us to lift our eyes above the current circumstances, uh, which are so insecure, and instead fix our eyes on a future hope that is secure in Christ. And so I want to start today by saying, church, we don't have to fret and panic about the future. We don't have to be gripped by worry and insecurity and wonder how it's all going to end. Because we have an eternal hope that has been revealed in God's word, has been secured by Christ. It's a hope that no pandemic, no government, no person, no circumstance, not even death can ever take from us. And it's a hope that's based on a future reality that's been achieved through Christ and is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing that future inheritance and reminding us of that future reality every day. Last week, Lachlan talked about the wonder of redemption, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, he's not only conquered the power of sin and death over our lives by dying in our place as the once and for all sacrifice for sin, but he's also made a way for us to come back into relationship with God both now and forever. And the forever part is really what we're talking about when we focus on a future hope. And it's critical to understand because a future hope in many ways will shape our present reality. You see, I believe we often view our lives with a temporal lens rather than an eternal one. In fact, we often put our hope in the things of this world more than the future hope we have in Christ. And I want to say that that is really a recipe for constant disappointment. When we live primarily with this temporal lens, it means that we'll put far too much weight on the things of this life. And let's be honest, right now, the things of this life feel a little dire. People have been sick, many have died, the economy is collapsing right around the world as we go into more and more debt. People have lost jobs or hours, we're locked up in our homes through a second round of lockdown in Victoria. And so much of the comfort, the freedom and the security we wrongly felt we had in the things of this world are right now simply evaporating right in front of our eyes. To make matters worse, as we look forward, we have very little light at the end of the tunnel for when all of this might end. And so through a temporal lens, we have very little to hope for right now. And so it would be easy to become despondent, to simply give up. And I think we're seeing this in our communities with the increase of mental health issues and, and even suicide. And it's an absolute tragedy. But for us as Christians, while all of these things do impact our daily lives, our hope should never be found in the things of this world which spoil and fade and which rust and moth destroy. Because our hope is in God. And so our circumstances, yes, they go up and down and they're a bit insecure at the moment, but our hope, it remains steady throughout. The Apostle Paul once said, if only for this life we have in hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The point he's making is that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and we have no eternal hope, well, we're simply wasting our time. But the truth he's conveying is that we do have a hope that's beyond this life. It's not temporal. It's eternal. And we are presented with this wonderful hope in Scripture. 
in 1 Corinthians, it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, we often stop reading there, but the next verse is really important. It says, But if it was, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. You see, through God's Spirit, he helps us to grasp a future reality that we can look forward to, which he's now revealed to us in his word. Now, no doubt it'll be even greater than what we can imagine, but Scripture reveals enough for us to know that it will be incredible. For me, as a young kid growing up in a church, I've always had a view of heaven being kind of like the place in the sky after I die, that my disembodied soul goes to after death. And in many ways, I think this has been the most common understanding of what heaven will be like, both in the church and for those outside of it, at least in my lifetime. As a kid growing up in church, deep down I knew, but I couldn't really articulate at the time, that my heart was just not captivated by that view of heaven. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, I don't think people we're seeking to reach are captivated by that either. But in the Gospel Project video we watched a few minutes ago, it presented a different view of heaven, which over the last decade of my life, I've grown increasingly captivated by. And I also believe it more accurately depicts a biblical understanding of our future home. Personally, it's something that kind of makes me come alive with hope as I dream and imagine about the world that we will enjoy when Jesus returns. My favorite description of this future reality comes in the very last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 21. And I pray this morning as I read it that you are captured afresh by the beauty of this vision. Let's pick it up at verse 1 of Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. What a beautiful and vivid picture of the stunning future hope we have in Christ. It seems so far from what we're experiencing in the world today. I don't know if you've ever bought a new car, but if you have, when you get that new car, it has kind of like a new car smell. You get in and you, you sort of suck up the new car aroma. And then you start up the car and it all happens immediately. And as you drive a new car, everything's kind of tight and smooth and it all works well. Everything is in order and everything operates how the manufacturer has designed it to work. I remember when I first bought my my first ever car. It was an XC Ford Fairmont gear, which was kind of like the luxury version of the model. And it wasn't brand new when I got it, but um, it was reasonably old, but it had low Ks and it was all in very good working order. And so when I picked it up from the dealer, it was freshly cleaned. It was vacuumed, deodorized, and it was really nice to drive. It felt like everything was how it was supposed to be. And so for the first few months, I would wash it uh, every week. I'd keep it sparkling clean inside and out. I'd be vacuuming it all the time. 
But after a few months of having it, and certainly after a couple of years of a P-plater driving it around, the new car novelty wore off. The care ceased to be as regular, and my shiny, nice new car started to fall apart. At first, there were some new and strange noises, which became louder and louder over time. The clutch started to get really stiff, and it kind of creaked. The gearbox started making strange noises to the point that when I drove it into the court where we lived, everyone knew I was home. It creaked, it clunked, it rattled. You could even say it groaned until eventually it simply fell apart. It was a Ford after all, and we know what that stands for, fixed or repaired daily. So it was true to its name. Sorry to all the Ford fans. But my nice new car was no longer what it used to be. And in that season, I longed for something new, a new car. Well, when I think about our world right now, our world is a little bit like my first car. In the beginning, when God created the universe, everything was how it was designed to be. But over time, through our sin and neglect, that same world is broken. It's falling apart. And as Romans chapter 8 says, it's groaning just as we are. And believe me, post 40, I'm experiencing the daily reality of that. All creation is groaning in what Paul calls birth pains as we long for and await that future restoration hope when Jesus' new creation is complete and he returns and makes not only us but all things new. What a hope that is. What a hope to hold on to even in the most difficult of years. Revelation 21 gives us a vision of what heaven will look like and it's a lot less like floating on a cloud with angels and a harp. And it's a lot more like a perfected version of this world where everything that is broken and evil is sucked out forever and it's replaced with the fullness of the presence of God who is love and light and everything good. This new creation will be enjoyed not by disembodied souls, but by resurrected bodies in a real and beautiful earth that Jesus died to restore for those who put their trust in him. And so to know what heaven is really like, look at the beginning of Scripture and see what God created. And then look at the end of Scripture to see what Jesus recreates, and you'll get a stunning view of God's dream and what we have to look forward to in Christ. What started in a garden will be completed in a city, both real and physical places, full of life and relationship, where God will reign, where heaven and earth will fully integrate with God at the center, bringing life and joy as we worship him forever. Church, that is our future hope and how magnificent it is. And so in these difficult times, particularly on those days when you feel despondent, hopeless, overwhelmed, lift your eyes and remind yourself of the future that nobody or nothing can ever take from us. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that our life is like a vapor or a mist, here for a brief moment and then gone. But eternity is forever. Gospel restoration is all about trusting in a future hope, but it also informs our present mission. And so secondly today, we're going to look at restoration as present mission. I think it probably goes without saying that we all want our friends and our families and even those in our local community to have that same future hope that we've just read about in Revelation 21. When we consider that the vast majority of our population doesn't know or follow Jesus, it highlights with a degree of urgency the very present mission we have to share the good news of the gospel every way we can. 
This is our part in God's great story, and it's been redeemed through Christ. You see, prior to the fall, God said to Adam and Eve, I want you to rule over and subdue creation together, to care for this great earth, to be fruitful and to multiply. But at the fall, when they rebelled against him and sin entered creation, well, things fell apart. The world became a very difficult place, full of brokenness and pain. Adam and Eve were cast out of God's presence, God's space, into this sin-affected world where they lost all sense of mission. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, he conquered the power of sin and death. He brought us back into his space by launching the kingdom of God here on earth. And he reinstated a sense of present mission to be stewards of his creation and to be fruitful and multiply. The New Testament equivalent is found in the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. The way we see restoration will really impact our sense of present mission. I recently heard an interview with a former NBA basketball player, and during his career, he was part of a successful team. It was so successful that he rarely got to spend any time on the court. During his time on the team, that franchise he was a part of won a championship, and because they won a championship, he received a championship ring. Now, in the AFL, 22 players are chosen for a grand final team, and only those 22 players receive a premiership medal if they win the premiership. But in the NBA, every single player on the roster that season gets a championship ring, even if they don't play a second on the court. And so this player being interviewed was talking about that. And he said that while he was happy to receive that championship ring, it doesn't mean as much to him because he played no minutes in the playoff series. In fact, the ring is a a constant reminder that he wasn't good enough to be part of the action. Now, why do I tell this story? Well, I tell the story because I think a lot of Christians live their lives like this. They sort of think, well, I put my faith in Jesus. I, I've got the ring that reminds me that I'm his, but, but God could never use someone like me. I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. My past is too bad. I couldn't really be used by God. And so I simply just wait for the superstar Jesus to return and restore all things. And in the meantime, I just kind of sit around on the interchange bench, just waiting for it all to unfold. Well, that is clearly not what the New Testament presents to us about mission. In fact, Jesus chose a bunch of people who were essentially rejects. They had no theological degree. They had no rabbi to follow. Many of them weren't even confident. They weren't eloquent. Some of them stuttered. Many of them had very checkered pasts. Scripture describes them as ordinary, unschooled people. And yet God chose them to turn the world upside down. This is what makes God's big story and dream for creation so exciting for each one of us. And what we need to understand is this, that between Jesus' ascension to heaven and his ascension back to earth to restore and recreate all things, in between those two events, his story is still being written. And while it's being written, we don't sit on the interchange bench spectating. He invites us into the story. And he's writing it in and through our lives as his co-workers here on earth. You know, the language of the New Testament reflects that reality. Um, As we saw in the video before, Jesus was the new temple, that place where heaven meets earth. You might remember him saying, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. Well, he wasn't talking about an earthly temple. It takes years to build one of those. He was talking about himself. Jesus was the new temple. 
But now Scripture tells us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we carry the presence of God through the indwelling of His Spirit everywhere we go. Jesus also said that I am the light of the world. But later on He said, you are the light of the world. In the original creation, we were made in His image. And through Jesus' redemption, we once again live our lives as image bearers, reflecting God's character to our world. Scripture says that we're his ambassadors and representatives. We are citizens of heaven. The Bible refers to us also as Christians. It literally means little Christs who represent our King. Paul said, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And when Jesus came through his death and resurrection, he came to launch this incredible mission called the kingdom of God. He came and he preached the good news of the kingdom and he said, it's here, it's arrived. New creation has begun and in Christ you are a new creation. And so go and live accordingly so that the world will see a glimpse of what new creation looks like. In Luke chapter 17 verse 20, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or or, there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The King James Version and the New King James Version literally say, because the kingdom of God is within you. You see, it's not some earthly kingdom. The kingdom of God is, is basically anywhere where Jesus rules and reigns. This is why Jesus says, when you pray, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom Come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how does his kingdom come here on earth? Well, it comes through his people. As we step into this dark world representing Jesus' kingdom, and as we live kingdom lives, we give people in this world a glimpse of our future hope in the present. And so when we live lives of generosity, when you come down here to the church and drop off groceries to share with those in need, you are participating in God's story, representing a future kingdom where there is no lack. When we love our families, our friends, our neighbours and even our enemies, we show them a glimpse of a kingdom where love is at the centre. When we stand against injustice, we represent a kingdom where justice rules. When we care about the environment as stewards of all God has given us, we point to a future hope where all creation is completely redeemed. In those moments, through our lives, heaven meets earth in a real tangible way as the future kingdom of God is expressed in the present and as we join in God's redemptive work in creation. We're giving people a glimpse of a future reality now. This is what theologians call the now but not yet kingdom of God. Because what we see now in part through our lives in these little glimpses, we will see in perfection when Jesus returns. And when he does return, we'll look back on this time and we'll refer to it as human history. But a better description would be that it's his story. That right now, in a real way, he's writing in and through our lives. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Leanne, our food van manager and pastoral care leader, who's doing a wonderful job, was heading down to Burke Park to meet one of our regular guests at the food van. 
Now, we're unable to run the van at the moment because of COVID, but we are providing care packs to help those in need through this difficult time. So a couple of times a week, Leanne takes care packs and shopping vouchers down to some of our regular guests who are in need. And this particular night, she was meeting one of our regulars. And so she got a care pack ready and she went to get one of the shopping vouchers to give this person so they could buy some groceries. But as she was grabbing it, she had this really... Um, clear prompting to grab two. She just felt this voice saying, get two vouchers. And so she grabbed a second voucher and she went down to the park and she always carries a spare care pack in her car. And so she headed down to the park to meet one person with two care packs and two gift cards. When she arrived, the person she was meeting hadn't arrived yet, but there was another regular who rushed up to her and said, I'm so glad you're here. I was really hoping that you'd come because I'm really struggling. I have no food and I have no money to buy any food. Can you help? Now, we look at a situation like that and we could easily say, well, isn't that lucky? (laughs) What a coincidence. But we know that there's nothing coincidental about it. God's story that's still being written will read on that day that I prompted Leanne. She obeyed. And when she got to the park, I put her together with the person that I wanted her to minister to her in that moment. And as she provided a care pack and a food voucher and had a conversation, heaven met earth as that person experienced the generosity and the provision of the kingdom of God. Now, when I wrote this sermon, I said that we don't know how the story ends. That person might be sitting in the park later that night thinking to themselves, you know what, there's something different about these people. Why are they so generous? Why do they actively step into our space when so many other people kind of avoid us like the plague? Maybe there's something to this God thing. But the truth is, I actually know more about the story now. I was speaking to Leanne in our staff meeting just yesterday, and she was telling me that the next week she met the same person there, her and Dave, and they gave him another care pack, and it ended up in a great conversation about God. And and it was revealed that he's really searching about who God is and he's been to church once before and he loved it and he felt included and he wants to come back again after lockdown and you know we just know that God's writing his story Leanne was part of God's story that day we don't know how it's going to end but what we do know is that our job is to go and to sow and God's job is to grow in people's lives as we share what God's given to us with them you know in the same way you're part of God's story this week As you pick up the phone to call that person at work you've noticed is struggling and they pour out their heart to you and you listen and maybe you pray for them and maybe you get a chance to share the hope you have in Jesus, you're part of the story as well. Or when you actively join God in His work in your neighborhood by loving and caring for those in your street, you're joining His story in the little things and in the big ways. When you live kingdom lives, you are joining God in His dream for creation. You know, if you want to help people find a sense of purpose in life, which I think everyone's really searching for, what greater purpose than to join the creator and sustainer of all things in his great mission of restoration? N.T. Wright says that the good news was and is that all of this has happened in and through Jesus. And one day it will happen completely and utterly to all creation. And that we humans, every single one of us, whoever we are, can be caught up in that transformation here and now. This is the Christian gospel. Do not allow yourself to be fobbed off with anything less. 
You see, if we believe in creation, the fall, and redemption in Christ, but we believe that restoration is just something that happens one day when Jesus returns, then there'll be very little motivation for us to live as new creations in God's redemptive mission now. But when we expand our view to see this ever greater gospel, we'll see that it's not only a future hope, but it's very much a present mission for us to live every day. It's exciting. It's full of hope. It's not just for the qualified, the educated, or the wise. It's a present mission for every one of us joining with God. And as we step into this mission, I believe that God can and will do immeasurably more than we could ever hope, dream, or imagine according to His power at work within us. This week, we can join God in this redemptive mission. As we do, I hope and pray that He'll give opportunities to not only demonstrate through your actions, but to share the good news of this great story, the ever greater gospel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth that you have saved us, that your life, death, resurrection has given us new life. Your word says that we are a new creation. And so, Lord, I pray that we would step into that, that we would live as new creations in this world. Lord, I pray that we'd represent you well as people who carry your Holy Spirit, your kingdom into the world around us. And Lord, our prayer is what you tell us to pray, that your kingdom would come that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in and through our lives. Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit and help us even this week to be alert, to be ready for the opportunities that you will provide to be these sorts of people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.